The event began on King Street in Boston, today known as State Street. In the early evening of March 5th, a young apprentice named Edward Garrish called out to a British officer, Captain Lieutenant John Goldfinch, that Goldfinch had not paid the bill of Garrish's master. Goldfinch had, in fact, paid the bill, and he ignored the insult. Garrish departed, but returned a couple of hours later with companions. He continued his insults, and the civilians began throwing rocks at Goldfinch. Goldfinch was eventually supported by eight additional soldiers who were hit by clubs, stones, and snowballs. As the evening progressed, the crowd grew larger and more boisterous and more threatening. The British soldiers realized that the situation was about to explode. As the crowd estimated at 300 to 400 people pressed about them, Captain Thomas Preston and seven or eight soldiers formed a semicircle. The crowd continued to harass the soldiers and threw snowballs and other small objects. Private Hugh Montgomery was struck to the ground by a club wielded by Richard Holmes, a local tavern keeper. When he recovered his feet, Montgomery fired his musket, later admitting to one of his defense attorneys that he had yelled, damn you, fire. It is presumed that Captain Preston would not have told the soldiers to fire as he was standing in front of the guns between his men and the crowd of protesters. However, the protesters in the crowd were taunting the soldiers by yelling, fire, fire. After a pause of indefinite length, the soldiers fired into the crowd. Their uneven bursts hit 11 men. Three Americans died instantly. Two died later. Captain Preston and the soldiers were arrested. The government was determined to give the soldiers a fair trial so there could be no grounds for retaliation from the British and so that moderates would not be alienated from the Patriot cause. No lawyers in the Boston area wanted to defend the soldiers as they believed it would be a huge career mistake. Preston sent a desperate request to John Adams, who would become the second president of the United States. Adams, a leading patriot who was contemplating a run for public office, nevertheless agreed to help in the interest of ensuring a fair trial. Tried on his own, Preston was acquitted after the jury was not convinced he had ordered the troops to fire. In the trial of the soldiers, Adams argued that if the soldiers were endangered by the mob, they had the legal right to fight back, and so were innocent. If they were pro provoked but not endangered, he argued, they were at most guilty of manslaughter. The jury agreed with Adams and acquired, agreed with Adams and acquitted six of the soldiers. 
Two of the soldiers were found guilty of manslaughter because there was overwhelming evidence that they had fired directly into the crowd. However, as they were first-time offenders, Adams had their punishment, which would have been a death sentence, reduced the branding of the thumb in open court. The jury's decisions suggest that they believed the soldiers had felt threatened by the crowd. Patrick Carr, the fifth victim, corroborated this with a deathbed testimony delivered to his doctor. Now, this became known as the Boston Massacre. And in a diary entry that John Adams later wrote in 1773, on the third anniversary of the Boston Massacre, he wrote, the part I took in defense of Captain Preston and the, Preston and the soldiers procured me anxiety and obloquy enough. It was, however, one of the most gallant, generous, manly, and disinterested actions of my whole life, and one of the best pieces of service I ever rendered my country. Judgment of death against those soldiers would have been as foul a stain upon this country as the executions of the Quakers or witches anciently. As the evidence was, the verdict of the jury was exactly right. So thank you, Wikipedia, for that, that summary. Uh, what kind of pressures do you think Adams was feeling in this situation? going against, he was thinking about running for office, so he would be going against like the, the public's decision. Okay, he was thinking about running for office, so he'd be going against the public's decision. There seemed to be a pretty popular movement in the other direction. James? Um, his conscience his, telling him to defend them. Okay, his conscience, on the other hand, is telling him to defend them. Okay, he's got this popular attitude in one direction and his conscience is pulling him the other way. Charlie? Okay, the social desirability. Did I hear you right? Social desirability of the crowd. Jackson? Loyalty to his country. Loyalty to his country. All right, now which direction is that pulling him? He's kind of away from it. Away from? Um, how loyal he is to America. Okay, so I mean, he, he makes the argument in, in here that he ended up doing something that was loyal to his country. That, that not going against his values would have been disloyal. Though he opposed British policy, executing those soldiers would have violated the principles by which he lived. Next. Peer pressure. Peer pressure. All right, who were the peers? people who wouldn't stand for the stand against the soldiers. Okay. Uh, the people, so the peers, like the other lawyers? The other lawyers. the other lawyers who wouldn't stand up for the soldiers. Now, we've talked about the principles that we try to live by here. We talk about them in tree talks. We've talked about them in chapel. Rich was talking about courage last week. And this was very much along the lines of that courage. 
all these pressures pulling him different directions. Kindness and respect for others, friendship and what a true friend really is, trust and honesty, our responsibility and the courage to stand by our beliefs and to be our best in seizing our opportunities that we have. This story about John Adams was one of John F. Kennedy's profiles and courage in the book that he wrote as his uh, the senior thesis in college. Some of you may know the play Inherit the Wind. In it, it's about the, uh, the monkey trial in, um, in Kentucky, Tennessee. It's in, in Tennessee where there's a, a trial of a school teacher who taught evolution. And, and it was called the monkey trial because the idea that we evolved from apes. But he says in that play, that character says, it is the loneliest feeling in the world to stand up when everyone else is sitting down, to have everyone look at you and say, what's the matter with him? Adams, I'm sure, was feeling that loneliness, that isolation, again, for the reasons that you were saying. Living by these principles sometimes means standing up when everyone else is sitting down. Maya Angelou, an author that many of you I'm sure have read, said, if we have the courage, we can change the world. Courage to do what we think is right. Now, I draw most of the remainder of this talk from a talk on popularity versus respect that was given by Mr. Charlie when I was a camper. Talking about something that can pull us off the principled course, pull us away from the values we know are right because we've seen them work. Each of us, I know, knows what our best is in our heart, knows what we should do in our heart, but there are things and forces that pull us away from that. And it may be a so-called friend saying, oh, go on, you can do it. You go ahead and do it. Or you can take this guy. Try to, why don't you fight him? Um, those are not friends. Those are not friends. They're people trying to take us, pull the worst out of us. They're not after our best. Popularity versus respect. Think of the times that we are pulled by the influence of others, tempted to do or say something that we know is wrong. It might be to take something of someone else's. It might be to do something we know is reckless or dangerous. It might be something that's disrespectful or cruel or mean to another person. It might be to lie or cheat or steal. In the passage that Max read so well, the devil is tempting him. All right, you can have all of this if you'll do this. And Christ is tough-minded and says, get, get out of here, get behind me. So what are some of the ways people try to persuade us away from what we know is best? What are some of the rationalizations people use? Elliot? We can like bribe us with better and things that we want. 
Okay, it might be bribery. In a way, this was bribery, in the, an attempt at bribery in, in the reading. Clay? Peer pressure. Yeah, come on. Goal. Everybody else is doing it. Everybody's doing it. Think how many times we hear that. Max? I know you like doing this. I know you like doing this. There are all sorts. Are you a chicken? Are you, aren't you cool? What, they want you to seem cool. Thanks, Dom. DJ? I'm sorry, say it. Do what you want? Is this, is this one that goes, that goes over my head? Do what you want? Okay. <laughs> but I got a number of nods from people, so I know a lot of you other guys understand that phrase. Okay, it's not one I'd heard. Thank you, DJ. The education continues. Um, are you nuts? You know, to echo Dom again, you know, that's not cool. Okay. You'll be, you'll be cool if people will really notice you if you do this. And, you know, as we talked about before, sometimes those people are doing it to build themselves up. The safety in numbers to make themselves feel better. Usually it's a sign of some underlying discomfort or insecurity. Mr. Charlie used to talk about a tree on Kerrigan that, that kept getting bent down by, by some sort of force and then, but, but kept growing toward the sun. It would it had a very unusual shape. It almost, I think, looked like a W. And Bubbles probably remembers the tree. Um, it's not that it's that old a tree, but it's. Uh, <laughs> um, um, but the, I was thinking about this the other day when I was up on the erg in the nature center. Uh, there's a tree there that got bent down in the late 90s by an ice storm. And there is a new strong shoot of a birch tree coming up out of it right where the bend occurs and the old part the part that was damaged is is gradually being shed but that is what we should be trying to do we may get off course at different times but we should be continuing to go toward the light toward the sun of what we know is right of what we know is right So what is our sun? Is, it our, is our ultimate goal in life to be popular or to have respect for ourselves and others? Is it to have friendships built on easy, careless affability or on respect and kindness and trust? When we come down to a tough choice between what we know is right and what we think will gain us acceptance, what will we choose? And these are the kinds of things to think about ahead of time. Because when we get in the situation, and we've all been in the situation, and we've all decided the wrong way, and I hope we've all decided the right way. But thinking ahead about how we're going to decide. And thinking, of, Mr. Charlie would say there are, there are battle lines on this one. Popularity versus the respect of others status, special privileges versus service and self-respect. 
which comes when our actions are consistent with our beliefs. What's cool versus what's right. Now, when once in every man, nation, they sort of wrestle with that a little bit. Sometimes what's right becomes cool. But sometimes when the crowd, the forcer favor of the crowd, I'm trying to pull those lyrics out, uh, the crowd should not be our, our determiner of what is right. Cliques and social success, exclusiveness versus an openness to all. The struggle to avoid ridicule, being worried about what others think versus pride in what's doing what's right. And pulling one's own weight, not being a parasite on the goodwill of a community. What will get me elected versus am I being honest, doing the right thing? Talk for the sake of acceptance or avoiding getting in trouble versus honest sincerity. It's essential to think about these things ahead. It's no time when the crisis is on us. When the people around us might be saying, do this, what's the matter with you? The popularity side is based on something we cannot control. We cannot control the judgment of other people. Making decisions that way will ultimately lead to unhappiness. On the other side, the side of respect, we make our decisions based on that. It comes from what we believe inside ourselves. Are we seeking a particular title that others determine? If our goal is to be a COI or the head of Apple? Those decisions are in others' control. But if we want to be a really good leader, that's in our control. Thinking about what a good, positive leader is, that's in our control. And how do we prepare ourselves to make that right choice when it comes down to it? You know, it's a classic thing. Picture the situation. Stop and think. Picture the situation. Think about what the best way would be to act. Think about the places we are tempted and put ourselves back in there. Sow the thought, reap the act. Sow the act, reap the habit. Sow the habit, reap the character. Sow the character, reap the destiny. We build a habit of facing the smaller temptations, the little things, the little times, the little honesties. When we are tempted to say something that's not true. So that we're ready to, and stronger to face the big ones when they come. Seek wisdom and understanding by talking with friends. I don't know how to handle this situation. What do you think? Boy, that is such a resource that we have here. What should I do? What should I do? Is this the right way to go? People that we trust. When we read in literature, how would I behave in this situation? Literature is, a, I'm putting in the English teacher plug here. Literature is a great opportunity to be in a situation without have to, having to deal with the consequences. 
and you can say, all right, how would I behave in this situation, and how does that work out? The hymn we sang last week, he who would valiant be against all disaster, let him with constantly, constancy follow the master, follow our best, follow what we know is right. Follow the values that ring true and depend on these things.